Thank you very much. That was beautiful. Great to see all of you here tonight. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 41 as we continue our series entitled Sovereignty in Suffering. Now, we have seen where, boy, Joseph is, I mean, it's just been one bad thing after another, hasn't it? And we, we've made the point, sometimes you think your life stinks. You look at the Bible and see Joseph's life, and you see what a life that stinks really looks like. I mean, that guy, you remember he had that dream that, that God gave him. He didn't ask for it. God gave it to him that one day his brothers and his parents would bow down before him. And yet everything that's happened since that dream seems to be going in the complete opposite direction. Uh, his brothers hated him, of course, because of that dream. They, they realized what the dream actually meant. They didn't know all the details, but they knew that he had that dream that one day they would bow down before him and they resented him. And so when he went out to check on him, they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him to Midianite traders, and then Joseph finds himself as a slave in Egypt. As a slave in Egypt, he just does the right thing. He brings his lunch pail to work every single day and gives his best every day. And the reward for that is that the master that he was working for, uh, his wife falsely accused him of attacking her, and then he finds himself in prison. And then he meets two guys who were servants of Pharaoh who found themselves in prison, and they had a dream. And Joseph, again, just bringing his lunch pail to work every single day and giving his best every single day. He interpreted that dream for those two men, and one of them was going to be restored back in Pharaoh's court. And he asked him, listen, please remember me when you get there, because I haven't done anything wrong, anything that would cause me to deserve to be here in this prison and when the man is restored back to Pharaoh's court, he completely forgot all about Joseph. And so we concluded last week by looking at verse 1 of chapter 41, where it said, It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So two more years, Joseph sits in that prison forgotten. I don't know if you have gotten into the XFL, the new professional football league, or not. Uh, I don't really know how I feel about it. I, I'm, I'm really a college football guy. I watch NFL when college is not on, you know, and so XFL is kind of the same way, and so uh, there's no other football on TV, and so that's at least just some football. But one of the things that's interested me about the XFL is the inside view it gives you into what's going on in the field. And so I find myself really kind of captured by the coordinators who were calling in the plays to the people on the field. And then they actually have some of the guys on the field mic'd up, and so you can kind of hear some of the checks, some of the audibles that they're making, and some of the things that they're saying to each other. And so it, it's, it's really kind of interesting. In fact, this afternoon I was watching one of the games, and the coordinator actually was sending in the play, and he said to the quarterback in his earpiece, he said, you know, the receiver over to the right, he called his name, he said, he should be open. And so it's just kind of neat to see that perspective of a game, kind of an insider look. To me, that's one of the great things about the Scripture, and particularly about doing a character study in the Scripture, is it kind of gives you that insider look. Because let's face it, if you and I are Joseph, can you imagine a more hopeless situation than he's found himself in? I mean, if you're Joseph, how do you pick your head up every day? How do you have any kind of hope or 
aspirations for the future. How in the world do you keep yourself from not just losing it? But for you and me, when we're reading this passage, we read it with a sense of anticipation about what's to come. Because the Bible gives us that inside voice into what's happening, doesn't it? And that's where we find hope for ourselves in our suffering. So let's pick it back up. Genesis 41, again, read again verse 1. It came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, and so Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then, behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, Ah, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So now, after two years, this servant finally remembers Joseph. Now, it took being in a precarious situation where everybody in all of Egypt was scared, but he found an opportunity to use what he remembered. And so, in verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph... And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then, behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. 
Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. So Joseph said, listen, Pharaoh, I got this. God has actually been very gracious to you, and He has revealed to you what He's about to do. There's going to be seven years of incredible economic prosperity, seven years of plenty in the land. But then right after that, there are going to be seven years of famine that's going to be so bad, nobody's even going to remember the seven years of prosperity. And so, Pharaoh, if it's okay if I say, here's what you need to do. You need to put somebody in charge of kind of a treasury in that seven years of prosperity, and you need to be storing grain during that time. And then when the seven years of famine come, then people can come to you and you will be able to have grain in order to take care of them. He says, God has given you this gift of allowing you to know what's about to come. And so verse 37, the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? You know, that's actually, when you think about it, a a, a pretty um, outstanding question. Because you remember, Pharaoh himself was worshipped by his people. Egypt was a place of many gods, Pharaoh being considered one of them. But even Pharaoh recognizes what Potiphar and the captain of the guard in Egypt have been able to recognize. Interesting that the Egyptians were able to recognize something in Joseph that his brothers weren't able to recognize, isn't it? Of course, his brothers just didn't want to recognize it. So Pharaoh recognizes that the God of the Jews is with this Hebrew boy that his spirit is with him, and there's a wisdom about him that's different than everybody else. And Pharaoh is incredibly curious and attracted to what's happening 
in Joseph's life. And so look at what he says in verse 39. Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, you're talking about an astounding statement. Now, Pharaoh has just elevated this Hebrew slave to second in command. From kind of our understanding of world affairs, Joseph is now being offered the position of prime minister in Egypt. This guy went from a pit to a prison to prime minister in a foreign country. Amazing. And in verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. It was a symbol of authority. He had the Pharaoh's authority in all things he wanted to do. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. Well, isn't that something? That's exactly what Joseph's dream was to begin with, wasn't it? that one day his brothers and one day his parents would be bowing the knee in his presence. And that's not happening yet, but he's beginning to see a little bit of that. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Isn't that something? There's been a pattern in Joseph's life, right? I mean, when he finds himself in Egypt as a slave to Potiphar, Potiphar recognizes there's something different about him, and he puts him in a place of authority, and he has authority over everything with the exception of Mrs. Potiphar. And then when he's thrown into the prison, the captain of the prison guard recognizes that there's something different about Joseph, and so he puts all of his affairs into Joseph's hands, and Joseph is kind of the chief administrator of the prison. And now as Pharaoh finally has the chance to meet Joseph and he sees that there's something different in him, now he gives him the authority over all the affairs of the country. He places it in Joseph's hands because he trusts him. Amazing, isn't it? By the way, um, in our study of Joshua on Tuesday at Tuesday Men's Bible Study, one of the points that we made early on in Joshua's life is that we can learn from Joshua that you're more prepared for whatever God has for you than you realize. Because Joshua 1 began with reminding Joshua of his time under Moses. And he said, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And that meant something to Joshua because he'd spent all that time with Moses. And so we've been able to uncover as we've walked through the book of Joshua different things that Joshua deals with and we're able to trace back into Moses' life and say, remember when Moses dealt with the same thing and Joshua's right there by his side. So here in Joseph's life, we see that he really is prepared for this assignment, right? I mean, he really was just kind of checking on his father's flocks when we were first introduced him to him, but now we see him in administrative roles administrator over Potiphar's house, administrator over the palace, uh, prison guard, and now administrator over all of Egypt. 
each one of the smaller roles preparing him for the larger one. God is sovereign even in our suffering, isn't he? And so in verse 45, in Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah I mean, if I'd have been Joseph, I'd have said, can I just keep Joseph, you know, right? I mean, how do you put that one on the back of a jersey, right? Or can you imagine filling out dots on your ACT with that one? And he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old. How about that? All this had happened to him by the time he was 30. He was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So with the first child and the naming of the first child, and names meant something back then, not like Chip, right? I mean, meant something back in the Bible. And so he names him Manasseh. And in naming him, it's a reminder that, you know what? Life has stunk for a long time. Life has been incredibly hard, been through some rough stuff. But God has helped me to forget the pains in the past. And then, verse 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So with the naming of Ephraim, fruitfulness. God has been faithful and he has helped me to bloom where he has planted me. Verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. From a pit to a prison to the prime minister of Egypt. It is an amazing story, isn't it? An amazing story. Well, what are some things that we can take away from tonight's passage? 
I want to give you three things to ponder tonight. As maybe you find yourself in the midst of suffering, maybe you find yourself in a kind of a season of difficulty. The winter cold just doesn't seem to leave in your life. And the rain that we're experiencing outside, it's just kind of you feel it in your mind and you feel it in your heart and it just seems like it'll never go away. Even though you believe that God is sovereign in the midst of your suffering, sometimes it just stinks though, right? Sometimes it's hard. No reason to be fake. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning and just live another day. It's one thing to look at Joseph's life and say, okay, you need to bring your lunch pail to work and give your best every day, but sometimes it's hard. And I'm sure that it was hard for Joseph as well. But what are some things that we can hang our hat on as like with the XFL, we have this inside track in how God's at work in Joseph's life, and we're kind of beginning to see the bird's eye view, the bigger perspective of what God's doing in Joseph's world. Here's number one. Remember that God has not forgotten you. Remember that God has not forgotten you. I'm sure there were times when Joseph wondered, oh, what an incredible dream he had, but my goodness, everything has looked like it's just gone south since then. And yes, he was forgotten by Pharaoh's servant when he forgot him for two years when he was in that prison, but God never forgot him, did he? God knew exactly where Joseph was. God knew the plans he had for Joseph's life. He knew the character of Joseph. God was at work the whole time. Who was the one who gave the chief butler and the chief baker the dreams? God. Who was the one who gave Pharaoh the dream? God. Who was the one who caused Pharaoh to be troubled in spirit as he couldn't figure out the answer to that dream? God. So who is clearly at the helm in control of everything that's happening in Joseph's world? It's God, isn't it? God did not forget Joseph, and you can believe, as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God has not forgotten you. It may look like the people around you have forgotten you. It may look like nobody cares for you. It may look like nobody's concerned about what's going on in your life. It's just not true. The truth is, God who sits on the throne, He knows right where you are. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows everything that's happening around you, and He is so in control. So take heart when you get up in the morning. You may hurt. You may feel sad. But God has not forgotten you. See also Joseph. Second thing that you can hang your hat on here in this passage, okay? You need to learn to bloom where you have been planted. You know what? There wasn't a single thing Joseph could do to make his circumstances go away. He couldn't break out of prison. He couldn't run away from his enslavement. He couldn't make Pharaoh's servant 
remember him, he was gone. There wasn't a thing in the world he could do. He couldn't control his circumstances, but he could control how he responded to them. Remember when I told you last week, and I'm telling you, it's really important that you get this. We give the devil too much credit. We give him credit for things that are not of him. Difficult circumstances that we experience in life are not always spiritual warfare. The devil doesn't cause it to rain, okay? The devil doesn't cause an auto accident. The devil doesn't cause you to fall off of a ladder. Spiritual warfare is the warfare that wages in our minds as we experience life. It's those whispers in our ear, you are forgotten. Nobody cares about you. If God really loved you, he wouldn't allow this to happen in your life. That's where the battle rages. We live in a sinful world, a fallen world, which is why the Scripture tells us that the creation groans for the day when Christ comes back and things are restored. But whether you're living for the Lord or you're not, it rains on all of us, right? And all of us one day are going to die. Spiritual warfare is that, is that whisper. How will you respond in the midst of of suffering. And one thing we see about Joseph is he learned to bloom wherever he was planted. When he was a slave to Potiphar, he bloomed. When he was a prisoner, falsely accused, he bloomed. And now here is prime minister of Egypt. He's just beginning to bloom. Now, as preachers, all of us are too guilty of telling you what you should do without telling you how. Okay? But I don't want you talking about me like that. So I'm going to tell you how. Okay? How do you bloom where you're planted? And I'll share with you what a pastor shared with me. I was going through a, a, just a really difficult season um, in life relatively early on in my ministry. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm really bad about asking for, for help. I'm really, really bad. But I was just so low and I was just so discouraged and even depressed and just really questioning God and what He was doing in my life that I, I just didn't know what else to do but to reach out and call for help. And so I called um, Joel Hare, who is a longtime pastor at First Baptist Church in Crystal Springs. His son, Mark Hare, is actually one of our deacons here. Mark and Rita, wonderful, wonderful people. And his granddaughter, Molly, is actually one of our children's interns right now. So that's, you know, I kind of owed him that, right? I mean, I worked for Brother Hare. When I was at, uh, a student at Mississippi College, my senior year, I went and became the part-time youth director. I was terrible, but he was gracious. But I was a part-time youth director at First Coastal Springs. And then when I went to seminary, 
um, I continued to serve at First Crystal Springs. And Sandra and I, it's actually uh, how we met. Um, she was in Hazelhurst. I was in Crystal Springs right there close to each other. And so we met at a Kapai Academy basketball game uh, set up on a, on a blind date. I'll tell you that story another day. And um, you know, it's whether or not she lets me tell you the story, but, but we, you know, we met on a blind date and then we, we started dating and, and we got married and, and we lived, our first house was in Crystal Springs and I was still in seminary driving back and forth to New Orleans and, and being back at the church. And you've heard me talk a lot about Dr. Frank Gunn and how much he meant to me. Brother Hare's in the, in the same boat. In fact, when First Biloxi called me and, and Dr. Gunn called me and asked me to come and to serve as a student minister at First Biloxi, you know, first person I told was Brother Hare. And Brother Hare said, he said, Chip, if you're going to work for anybody other than me, I want you to work for Frank Gunn. And that just meant the world to me. It still does. But Brother Hare is one of the most godly men I have ever known in my life. I mean, that guy, I mean, you couldn't rattle him on the top of a pole in the midst of a hurricane. I mean, he just always had that calm and he just exuded this spiritual peace. And so I called him and I said, Brother Hare, I, I just, I need to ask you something. And I began to kind of tell him what I was going through in just kind of a dark season and really struggling and just not knowing what God was doing in my life and really questioning things. And I said, and so I just, you know, I have the greatest respect for you. I just want to know what you, you know, do you have any advice for me? Because I'll, I'll take anything. And he said, let me tell you what you need to do. He said, every morning you need to get up and you need to read the Scripture. And as you read the Scripture... He said, there's going to be one verse that really stands out to you in that verse. And you need to immediately write that verse down somewhere on a pad or something. And he said, and then I want you to really ponder that verse. Really think about it, what it means, what God's trying to say to you through that verse. And then you need to write out your prayer in its entirety. And let your prayer be your response to how God has spoken to you in that verse. And he says, if you need to be honest with God, if you're mad, tell him. If you're confused, tell him. If you, you know, if you just don't understand, tell him because he knows anyway. He says, but just lay it all out before God, and it's important that you write it all down. He said, and what happens is, as you begin to unload all of this that you're experiencing, and you put it down on paper, then God will begin to shape you into who He wants you to be. And so after you have finished responding to Him, as He has revealed Himself to you through that Bible verse... And after you've been totally open and honest before him, then finish your prayer by saying, not your will, but my, my will, but your will be done. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he says, and then get up and go to work and know that you're living right in the center of God's will. 
I did exactly what he said to do for almost a year. And then God gave me the answer. All of a sudden, I was able to see what God had been doing the whole time in the midst of that season of suffering. And when everything came together, it was just the most incredible thing. How passages of Scripture that he pointed out in my life were passages that became part of my philosophy of ministry as God was shaping me into the pastor and is still shaping me into the pastor that he wants me to be. That was many years ago, and I still do the same thing. I have a laptop, and when I do my, what we would call quiet time, I, I kind of don't like the word quiet time. I, I prefer the term unhurried time in the presence of God. It reminds me that it's not something that I need to, like brushing my teeth, do as quickly as I can so I can go on about my day. But when I spend my unhurried time with the Lord, that's exactly how I do it today. I open up God's Word and I read the passage that I'm reading on that particular day. I'm actually in the book of Jeremiah, and so this morning I was reading Jeremiah 33. If you were paying attention, I'm not going to ask you if you were, but if you were paying attention, you heard a reference from Jeremiah 33 this morning, verse 3, called to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you did not know. And that actually was the very verse that the Lord revealed to me today. That was the verse that stood out. And so in my laptop, I have uh, an app. I use, uh, what's that called? Apple? I use whatever, Apple. And so I have an app that's called Day One Journal. And so I just click on the, um, whatever that little square box at the bottom is, Day One Journal. And uh, it, up it pops today's date. And it gives me a journal. And so this morning, I typed in Sunday, February 23rd, 2020. And then I skipped two spaces, and then I typed out the verse that the Lord revealed to me. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you did not know in the Scripture reference. And then I typed out my prayer in its entirety. Dear Father, it said something like, I praise you for how you reveal yourself to me. I praise you for how you want me to know how you're at work in the world and how you're at work at First Baptist Jackson. I praise you because I know that you are over all and you know all things. You have all the answers. And I can come to you and I can receive those answers. So, Father, I call to you this morning, and I ask you to show me different things that I do not know. And then as I get up from praying, I'm able to drive to the office knowing that I'm right in the center of God's will today. That's how you bloom where you were planted you allow God to shape your heart in the midst of that time of suffering 
knowing that nothing is ever wasted with Him. He has not forgotten you. His plans for you, for good and for a purpose, for a future and a hope, He hasn't forgotten all that. He knows where you are. He knows where you're, what you need. And you can't do a thing in the world about the circumstances around you. But you can do everything in the world about who you are in the midst of your circumstances if you will choose to bloom where you are planted. Make no mistake, this ascension in Joseph's life, not only are we seeing the plan of God continue to unfold, but we're seeing a man whose character has just been above board the whole time, hasn't it? Not a time, not a time to see seem to have given up. I'm sure there were tough days. I'm sure there were days when he questioned and days that he wondered because he's normal, just like you and me. But his character all through his suffering was just impeccable. And everybody recognized there is something different about that dude. And they wanted to know more. Bloom where you're planted. And then the third thing. Take advantage of opportunities when they arise. Take advantage of opportunities when they arise. Um, I wasn't a very good football player. I tried to play. wasn't very good. And uh, the one part that I did do well is um, you're taught on defense, you know, sometimes, particularly I, I, I played uh, safety. And so, you know, you kind of had to watch because the tight end could come and take you from one side or a receiver could come from another side. And that was back in the days when you could do crack blocks. You can't do that anymore. And so, you know, you're always kind of taught, keep your head on a swivel, right? Because you never know what's coming. And so I wasn't a great football player, but I, I kept my head on a swivel because I wanted to know what was coming. That's probably why I wasn't a great football player because I was too worried about who was fixing to smoke me than I was what was really going on. And so, with God, you got to learn to keep your head on a swivel, right? We're taught that God is always at work around you. If that's true, we've got to find those opportunities where He's at work. We've got to keep our head on a swivel in the midst of the suffering when we can't change our circumstances, but we're committed to bloom where we're planted. Then we've got to keep our head on a swivel to see opportunities that God provides for us. And when we see those opportunities, we've got to be willing to walk through those doors, which is exactly what Joseph did. Can't you imagine if you're Joseph, right? Think about it. Think. You're Joseph. You're sold to Midianite traders. And now you're a slave to Potiphar. And he wants to make you head of his whole household. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Then he gets falsely accused and he's thrown into a prison and they want to make him the administrator over the prison. No, I just don't want to do that. You see what he would have been missing out on? God used those opportunities to prepare him to be the prime minister. Or when Pharaoh calls for him, can you imagine? Just let him take my head. I don't care. Life just stinks. 
I've been here for so long. I've been forgotten for two years. I don't want to go into Pharaoh. If he wants to come and get me and chop my head off, let him do it. I don't want to go in his presence. What in the world do I have to offer him? Can't you imagine Joseph saying that? Of course you can. But that's not what he did, did he? When God opened up doors, he walked through them. And he had no idea what he was getting into when he walked through them. But God did, didn't he? Because he's sovereign in the midst of our suffering. So as we conclude, if you're going through a difficult time, first of all, it's normal. It's been happening throughout the history of the world. Joseph's life stunk too. But God never forgot him. He bloomed where he was planted. And he took advantage of opportunities when they arose. And man, what an incredible ride God took him on. Pray with me, please. Father, we bow before you, the one who takes us from pits and prisons and makes prime ministers. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to look at uh, the inside workings in Joseph's life. Oh, it's so much easier to look into his than it is to look into ours. But what a treasure your word is. What a treasure to allow us to see from the outside in how you work in the lives of normal people who experience struggles just like we do and who come through them. Father, please remind every one of us tonight we are not forgotten, never have been, never will be. You know our struggle, you know our pain, you know our fears, you know where we are. Help us, O God, to bloom where we're planted, even when it's tough. Help us to get up in the morning and seek your face and pour our hearts before you and surrender ourselves wholly to you and help us to lift our chins up and go on with our days, knowing that we are not in control, but you are and you're good. And help us, O God, to keep our heads on a swivel to see how you're at work around us and grant us the faith to walk through the doors that you open even when it's scary, even when it makes no sense, even when we don't understand where it's going to end up, but help us to remember that you're the one who took a man from a pit to a prison and made him prime minister of Egypt. You are the great shepherd. Please protect us from just looking at the path and help us to look to you and help us to enjoy the ride. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.